0: Blog Talk Radio Round One Fight 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 fight
1: Stumbled across the number one internet sports talk show in the world. We we do this thing called the Balance every Saturday morning, and welcome to all of our affiliate radio stations uh, who are listening to us in their car and their on their apps or wherever you're listening to us across the United States. Welcome. My name is Tom Marquis. I am your host for the next two hours. You will pay homage to me because I. ML Presidente and I will guide you through this crazy world of sports and it does not get any crazier than it does in the month of March, does it? So we're going to spend a lot of time today dissecting, looking at the upsets, looking at what's going forward. Uh, I know Rick Regan is down in Nashville, we hope that we're going to be able to connect with him. However, he is down in Nashville uh, for the NCAA first round. And so uh, it's a hard maybe. We'll put it that way. Joining us also in a few moments, standing by in the balance green room, Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, going to talk a little bit about that big upset last night, Virginia. And IndyCar, of course, duh, uh, certainly uh, had a really good opening race out in St. Pete, and uh, we got a couple weeks before they're back on the track again out in the desert in Phoenix. Also, Mo from the BS Sports Show going to join us later on, help us break down this March Madness. Yeah, pretty much March Madness, but Steve Wilson from Speedway Digest is also going to join us here in about a half hour or so and talk with us about that West Coast swing with NASCAR out there in Cali this, this weekend see what's going on there big sponsorship changes there in nascar and also it involves beer and it involves a home improvement store you do the math my name is tom marcus el presidente we'll be right back right after this on the balance radio network tonight
2: Bobby, you're here again.
3: Well, yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides.
2: Well, I
0: like sides.
2: It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go?
0: Here,
3: Tim. Here.
2: Introducing the new beat-up fast-break lunch menu. Starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eel, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive-through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure.
1: All right and welcome back to the ballots. Well hey, you know what? It's okay to just still remember the Eagles going the Super Bowl uh unfortunately i pushed the wrong button there but that's okay welcome back to the battles my name is Tom marquis joining us now is our official indycar contributor from at open wheel popular at OpenWheel uh dot com uh joins us going to be talking a little indycar but also some march madness uh welcome to the madness sir matthew how are you on a saint patrick's day
5: Hard to believe what happened last night, Tom, but this is what makes the tournament fun. I mean, you have, I mean, yeah, my bracket's ruined now, but look at it from this sense. Uh, you just cannot take anything for granted in the NCAA tournament. I think Virginia just got a tough love lesson about that last night. I mean, this is, remember, the same Virginia team that three decades ago lost to Chaminade with even with Ralph Sampson. They were number one team in the country and now they've done it again against a Maryland-Baltimore County team that is outside the top 200 of the NCAA in offensive efficiency. I mean, they say defense wins championships, but you got to have offense, and this Virginia team was just out to lunch all night long last night, just showed no urgency, and even when they were in trouble, they showed no urgency until it was too late uh, I think right now, I mean, I compare what happened last night. This is right on the level of Michigan losing Appalachian State in football several years ago. I mean, this is one of those that just, you could replay it multiple times, Tom, and it just will not happen. I mean, it I, I'm still perplexed that a team that was this dominant, defeated Duke, North Carolina, rolled through the ACC tournament, and now this happens. I. I I feel real bad for everyone in Charlottesville today. Uh, I mean, I cannot explain how in the world a team that looks so dominant uh, just falls apart like this and loses by 20 to a team that at the start of last year was predicted to finish dead last in the America East conference. I mean, it's unfathomable what's happened here. I mean, kudos to UMBC and all the folks down there. Obviously they're on cloud nine this morning, but, How can you feel, you know, anything but, you know, a little bit of disappointment and, uh, you know, a little bit of pain for everyone in Charlottesville because they did not expect their tournament to end in in, in such a horrific way like it did last night?
1: Well, absolutely not. But, you know, and I know you picked Virginia on the show last week. Uh, You said Virginia to go all the way. So I know that your bracket is all busted up. I, I have to admit, though, I did pick Virginia to make a run, uh, even to the final Four in most of my brackets, but did not pick them in any of my championship games except for one bracket, so I survived the storm. The other storm that happened this week happened on Thursday night, and that was Arizona State Sean Miller can get to what he's got to get to for the off season it's going to be a rough off season for him, you know. I realize they've had a lot going on as a team. I realize that Sean Miller has had a lot going on as a as a head coach personally and professionally. I get it, I understand, but at the same time Arizona State has never really done that well in the tournament, but Buffalo had their way with You mean just Arizona, Arizona, not Arizona State? I mean just Arizona, not Arizona State. My fault. Thank you for correcting me. I, my coffee still hasn't kicked into my brain yet this morning, so uh, you know. And I promise you, I haven't started on the green beer yet. So yes, uh, regular Arizona, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it was uh, it's been a great. And then, of course, we saw. Uh, uh, Loyola of Chicago uh, In that buzzer beater against Miami uh, So we've seen some, We saw uh, Wichita Get shocked themselves uh, By Marshall, the first time Marshall's Ever won an NCAA Tournament, going to be meeting up with uh, Virginia, and of course great wins uh, Here locally uh, uh, Purdue and Butler, of course um uh, uh, Purdue is going to be without big man Isaac Haas. We're going to get on, into all of that as we dissect throughout the show. Uh, and, Matt, you're welcome to stay with us throughout the entire show if you want to. But you want to get to some IndyCar. Last week, IndyCar opened up their IndyCar season down in St. Pete. Great race it was. Recap for us. Uh...
5: Well, uh, Sebastian Bordet got the victory, but I think uh, the person that really uh, got the short shaft was uh, Robert Wickens uh, for being his first open-wheel race in since his Formula Renault days uh, almost over a decade ago, and him almost winning it was a big deal. And I think it shows that Schmidt-Peterson uh, did the right thing uh, tearing down the team. I'm Lena Gade, uh, Pierce Phillips, uh, they now have leaders on the, that technical staff behind the scenes that can get them to the front. Obviously, Honda's improved uh, their game immensely elsewhere besides the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, now the question in my mind is, uh, with what happened here, is how does Team Penske, who was out to lunch uh, after Will Power had his issue with Wickens on lap one, uh, how does Team Penske and their Chevrolet teams respond? Because uh, they were clearly uh, a beaten
1: group uh,
5: after St. Pete. Now, granted, Phoenix, I think, has gone well for them, but... After what happened uh, this past weekend, you got to wonder uh, how the Chevrolet teams are going to uh, put up with the rest of the season because uh, they can't afford to have uh, such a lackluster. Now, now, granted, they had some moments of their own. I mean, and all of them fell by the wayside early with Matthias Lesh hitting the wall, Jordan King having his problems, and obviously Will Power having his problems. But at the same time, though, uh, Honda just uh, gave them a good old-fashioned whooping uh, last Sunday. Now it's... There's something that uh, obviously would be fixed down the road, but, uh, you know, it's a tough thing for, uh, Wickens. I'll be very curious to see how he bounces back at Phoenix, uh, considering he has no oval experience, and then, uh, Bourdais, uh, Dale race. I think they've proven that uh, it was not a fluke last year. Now, granted, uh, they took advantage of, you know, Wickens and Rossi clashing late there, but, uh... A strong performance by Coyne, and uh, even with uh, some unknowns about that second seat of Revolving Door with Clayman DeMelo and uh, Fittipaldi sharing it, uh, Fittipaldi takes his turn uh, this upcoming race at Phoenix. Uh, Coyne, I think, once again, assuming uh, disaster doesn't strike them again, I think Bordeaux is once again a championship contender uh, for the Verizon IndyCar Series title in the Astra Cup.
1: Right, absolutely, and it does appear that we are having some issues with our live streams. I'm trying to get that fixed. So if we lose our live stream, I, I do apologize for that. It will be up on on the on the podcast as well. So as we go forward and we look forward into uh, into um, and we look forward into uh, Phoenix uh, coming up in April. Uh, what are your thoughts, sir?
5: Does Penske bounce back? Uh, does Foyt show? the momentum they showed early and they were able to turn in the race at St. Fred Carpenter. Uh, The Chevrolet teams, I think, are going to be put to the test uh, again. Now, granted, the short ovals, Petsky had the advantage, but where were the other Chevrolet teams? So I think right now, uh, is Petsky got to carry the torch for Chevrolet again, or was one of the other teams going to be able to step up? Because if you go by uh, what happened at St. Pete, and obviously last year at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Honda has an edge right there. Now the question is, could Chevrolet put a dent into it right now? Uh, that's the big question that's on my mind right now, looking ahead. And uh, I think this is a situation where even though uh, Ganassi disappointed at St. Pete, I think it's a perfect place for them to bounce back in Phoenix with Scott Dixon, if not Ed Jones. Uh, now that uh, one race under Ganassi and the pressure of being the new guy is off, uh, we'll see what Ed Jones can do when we head to Phoenix uh, Cut up in April.
1: Okay, are you still with us? Yep. Okay, I I apologize. We did lose our live stream. I am not sure exactly what happened there. But uh, nonetheless, we're going to keep moving forward as, as uh, we get move, uh, ready for uh, the, uh, the podcast <laughs> as well. Uh, so uh, talk with us a little bit about some of the struggles that we're seeing here with IndyCar. It seems like we had a lot of communication problems last week down in St. Pete.
5: Uh, I think that's just some new things with the brand-new car and obviously some of the new systems that are in there. I mean, it's nothing too out of control. Now, granted, there's also a brand-new race director and Kyle Novak. So I think uh, those little issues will be fixed, and uh, that should not be an issue. I don't think that was one of the bigger issues uh, that was in play uh, considering from what I saw.
1: So looking forward to Phoenix, talk with us a little bit about the Phoenix track. I know we've got a couple weeks, but what are teams got to do to prepare for Phoenix because we know it's a completely different track than St. Pete.
5: High-speed oval. It would be very interesting to see what they do about trying to put a second groove in there. There's talked about them uh, artificially putting down some rubber on the second groove and having the guys work there to see if they could improve passing there and side-by-side racing. Uh, I'm not sure if that's that's a great thing for a short oval, but we'll see if that works out for them. And uh, like I said, uh, Chevrolet's got a lot of uh, proving to do if they want to bounce back and become a factor in this equation.
1: Go ahead, uh, Matt. You cut out there in the very last part there, sir.
5: I think ultimately you look at the scenarios ahead right now, and uh, certainly, like I said, uh, Chevrolet's got proving down, and Honda's got the upper hand right now. And I think that you see that with my Indy 500 Gradatology list. Uh, for instance, I put uh, Stefan Wilson back in the field at 33. Uh, Matthias Lace has moved up. Robert Wickens moved up. And uh, now my last three out uh, are still Pippa Man and Buddy Lazier, but Kyle Kaiser, I think, is right now the odd man out, and Junkos, uh they were way off the pace compared to the rest of the field. Uh, Rene Bender, yes, his first race, but remember, he's the former, he's defending Formula Renault champion, so he couldn't, he shouldn't be that far off the pace. And uh, but again, that's the danger when you're a brand new team. You come in with the driver with no experience in the top rank. Uh, you set yourself up prone for problems. And uh, Ricardo Juncos I mean, he doesn't want to run two cars at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, but I think now he's going to throw just to get one in the field at this point, Tom, because. Based on Renee Bender's uh, performance, uh, the news uh, for UNCOS is not looking good as we get draw closer to the month of May.
1: So, uh, kind of a sidebar, side note uh, story here that we saw this week. A.J. Foyt uh, was attacked by African killer bees at his ranch out in Texas. What do we know about that?
5: A.J.'s got to be a little more careful. Uh, I think that's what it is. I think it's just the daredevil side of him just getting a little bit too crazy right now. There's been issues with caroled bees ever since they've escaped from, I guess, uh, some central American uh, lab several years ago. I mean, there was a big uh, mess in Arizona, I think, like several years ago, where thankfully no was seriously injured or killed, but there's a lot of you know animals like that that were eliminated because of that. Uh, it's just one of those things you got to be prepared for. I mean, Things fall out where the sun falls out of orbit. And it uh, looks like, fortunately, Foyt's going to make a full recovery. The only thing I question now is, is he going to be able to make the uh, trip uh, over to Indianapolis this May? Because it would be uh, tough not be, being at the Speedway and not him not being there, even though not necessarily in a place where he can mingle with the media or anything. That's something, of course, he doesn't do much anyway. But uh, for him not to be there it would be tough uh, for a bunch of, you know, the traditionalist, nostalgic uh, IndyCar fans like uh, yours
1: truly. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I want to refer you to a uh, motorsport.com article. Uh, Ray Hall admits that uh, Ray Hall Letterman uh, Racing was fooled by Sebring IndyCar testing. Uh, what are your thoughts on that article, or did you get a chance to read? Well, it? they
5: were fast, but again, testing is not a good base. I mean, there are certain teams that are sandbagging. There are certain teams that are not going out for full-out speed, and I think it is very. Childish if you go by testing numbers to determine where you stand because until you get to that first practice session at St. Pete, you really do not know where you stand because again, the agendas for some teams is not full out speed and going you know for the fastest laps possible. And maybe it was for Rayo Letterman, maybe it wasn't for a majority of the teams and I think you get a small sense of confidence. Uh, When you have that scenario, I mean Penske was quick in testing in 1995 and at Indianapolis and look where it led to them. They failed to qualify. So you can't just go by a testing time sheet because not all the teams are there. Not everybody is going for full out speed, comfortability, getting used to the brand new car. And you just can't go by, you know, a timing sheet and a test to say where you stand until you get actually to the actual race weekend. So you got to be careful. When you look at those things, thinking you have the upper hand, because sometimes you get this false sense of security when you really don't have anything. And I think uh, Ray Hall's a victim of that, and maybe uh, now teams will look at that and say, well, if I'm fast through the test, I mean, Foyt had that last year at Gateway. Everyone's thinking Foyt was going to dominate a Gateway after the test where so they topped the timesheets, and even though, yeah, they finished fifth, they were never a factor for the win, so you got to take that with a great assault uh, when you see those uh, test sheets come up because, again, the agendas are not necessarily the fastest lap possible.
1: What a great win it was for Sebastian Bourdais last week. I mean, and you and I both were here in Indy when he had that horrific accident and, you know, put him out for the rest of the season, and there was even doubt that he would even be able to come back to IndyCar, and for him to come back and get in the car in the first race of the season to get a win, that's got to be pretty impressive and pretty huge to him.
5: The fact that he was competitive, I think, was impressive in itself. Uh, Made the same charts to the field like he did a year ago, and then, like he was there, he was in the right position the right time to take advantage with uh, Wickens and Rossi decided to clash with two laps to go. So, uh, big day for Bourdais. Now the question is, could they keep the way going? I think they could do it. Now, let's just hope that uh, Lighty doesn't strike twice and they have another issue like that where their chances are altered again. Uh, very curious to see, because remember, they had the fastest uh, practice times at Indianapolis, and they were a favorite looking into qualifying. So... If they could back that up again, uh, who knows what we might see when we get to uh, the month of May uh, for Dale Coyne Racing, a team that has been eager to break through and not be the lovable losers anymore. Maybe this will finally be the year they do it.
1: Let's talk a little bit about some testing out in Texas. We had some high winds, low temperatures, and a, really a hard crash by uh, Indy 500 champion Tomoko Soto uh, led to the handful of Verizon IndyCar uh, Series teams uh testing in, in texas to pack up early on thursday uh, to, uh, uh and that was aj Foyt racing andretti uh chip canassi dale Coyne, ed carpenter uh ray hall letterman uh and schmidt peterson and team penske uh all in the 1.5 high banked oval thoughts uh
5: i think it just concerns the question right now maybe we shouldn't be running at texas anymore uh you know, cart had issues, and with this new car, the faster it's going to get, I wonder if these drivers are going to be able to, you know, stay fully awake uh, through a tire uh, fuel stint and, you know, a 600-kilometer distance. I think uh, hopefully I'm wrong about that, but I think right now, even though Eddie Gosh has been good, to IndyCar, I think uh, maybe this is start time where IndyCar seriously questions uh, whether or not they keep racing at a place like Texas, and uh, maybe this is a place where they start looking at trying to re- create ties with michigan auto club they need to get on bigger tracks that have a little more room to work uh, if they're going to make this work uh, i think texas is too fast and too tight a track uh for the drivers uh, to be able to withstand i mean the g load is extremely high there and i'm starting to wonder are we going to get to the numbers like we did at cart when they tried to race there in 2001 it just got too much for the drivers i hope i'm wrong about that but again uh, you got to be careful Uh, What you wish for, especially uh, last year when we had a crash fest and only six cars made the finish.
1: Absolutely. You know, one of the exciting news that that came out of uh, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway this week was that, is that the Indianapolis Motor Speedway has announced that it will build a new premium viewing area outside the very popular Turn 3 uh, and will offer an all-inclusive race day experience for the 102nd Indianapolis 500. The Turn 3 uh, club is uh, being offered in response to increased demand uh, for premium uh, seating and hospitality there at IMS uh, suites or are- Sold out for the Indianapolis 500, while limited availability uh, still remains in the Hallman Terrace. So this is a great uh, opportunity, and we're seeing this happen also in Phoenix. Uh, They've kind of got their new uh, 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 fan experience. I think the tracks are starting to realize they've got to modernize. They've got to uh, make it more of an experience. Uh, and 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 really change things up uh, for the fans, and of course the Indianapolis Motor Speedway has always kind of been on the forefront of that. Uh, but certainly this is a a great opportunity for fans uh, to see the race at a premium level there at the very popular Turn Three.
5: Yeah, it's a great thing, but I think the thing ultimately is these other tracks, especially the ovals like Phoenix, they've got to sell tickets. I mean, it was an eyesore last year when they were at Phoenix and that Turn Two grandstand was completely empty. Uh, and it was the same way at Fit Texas. A lot of empty seats there. I mean, they got to sell at these oval tracks, and so they're going to keep, you know, running at these places. They just can't not run to empty stadiums uh, every time they go to an oval track. I think that's one thing right now. Outside of Indy, yeah, they sell there. But some of these other places, they are having trouble selling, you know, even a decent amount of tickets. I mean, you saw it at Auto Club Speedway the last time they were there. I think only less than 10,000 people showed up. So, that's got to be their chief conservator, Mark Miles, et cetera, is making these other oval tracks work. And, you know, if they want to continue to increase the number of oval tracks, they've got to be able to sell tickets to these places so they can keep up running. I mean, that's been the problem with all these ovals is they haven't been able to sell tickets over the last decade.
1: Let's talk a little bit more about the race from last week. And let's look at Wickens. What a great job uh, the rookie, uh, the Canadian rookie Wickens, uh did. But I think a lot of people kind of disagree about the end of that race in St. Pete in that Wickens was absolutely uh, punted by a driver that should have known better. Uh, the last lap. Well, a lot of people are a little disgruntled by the last lap, but, uh, to, to keep control of your car, to hear Alexander Rossi do anything other than take responsibility for losing control of his car is wrong. What say you, sir?
5: This goes back to Daytona. I was fearing that this was going to set a precedent, what Austin Dillon did to Eric Almirola, and my worst fears were founded uh, this past weekend. Alexander Rossi, I think, unfortunately, what Austin Dillon did is it set the precedent that if you cannot pass a guy cleanly, you have every right to take him out. And I think that is what you saw at Daytona, and sadly, that's exactly what you saw at St. Pete. Uh, Again, I said, be careful what you wish for. Uh, When you set a precedent like that, everything changes. And I think right now, I hope to God it doesn't happen in Indy, but it could happen at the Indianapolis 500 again as well. I mean, it's just... People now, after what Austin Dillon did to win the Daytona 500, they are now saying it's now a win at all costs. That everything is okay, and NASCAR really blew it by not reprimanding Austin Dillon for what he did. And now, if not if Austin Dillon had not done that to Almirola, I do not believe Alexander Rossi would have done what he did to uh, Robert Wickens.
1: Well. And and here's the thing, I think, and and I'm not totally positive about this, but I think race control did give a penalty to Alexander Rossi, but the thing about it is nobody Uh, knew about it.
5: They did, but it was only a monetary fine. It was not a position penalty.
1: Well, either which way, Wiggins was having a great race, and I kind of feel like he was cheated out of a win. I could be totally wrong about that. Just one man's opinion, but I was just getting your thoughts on that. Uh, So, I was going to give IndyCar an A for the first race of the 28th season uh, with the new aero, aero package is planned, uh, but I just think, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's too much going on in IndyCar where it's hard for everybody to follow on what's going on, but I just I just feel like we had issues with communication. We had issues with the new aero car. I think there's a lot of kinks, a lot of bugs that's got to get worked out uh, between now and the Indianapolis 500.
5: And a lot better than I think some of the other things we've gone with debuts. I mean, obviously, it wasn't like, you know, the brand-new kits when they had all the contacts and all the yellow flags like they did a few years ago. So at least things went, you know, fairly under control compared to that two years ago. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't the perfect race, but it will do. I'd say I'd give it a B.
1: So talk with us a little bit uh, about uh, what you're seeing in the stables and the teams and the garages as we wrap up our IndyCar uh, talk before we have to get into our NASCAR talk. And I'll let you go ahead and talk. I've got to try to connect in a different way here with uh, Steve Wilson. So go right ahead, sir.
5: All right. Uh, again, uh, big possibilities coming up, you know, with IndyCar with Phoenix. Uh, you'll be very curious to see what happens. Uh, obviously, a chance for Petsky to bounce back to today at Sebring in a couple few minutes from now. Uh, with the 12-hour, they have a car on the pole with their brand-new Acura. I'll uh, be curious to see what uh, Cadillac does uh, after they dominated Daytona. They've been a little bit lax here so far at Sebring. Same goes with the uh, Ford in Corvette and GTLM. Uh, BMW has gone from worst to first there. with They've gone 1-2 in qualifying. And then uh, GTD, uh, Acura looks stout uh, for winning there. So you've got a lot of different scenarios with that event starting here in a few minutes. uh, But like I said, IndyCar, uh, still things going on. I'd like to see them get close to being able to announce, you know, a brand new title sponsor for 2019. Uh, Mark Miles says that's getting close. Uh, We've already got 34 cars for Indy. Uh, The momentum is there to take advantage of it, where NASCAR is at a low end and is continuing to lose entries, uh, continuing to lose competitive drive, continuing to lose support. This is where IndyCar needs to be, bring their A game, and bring those NASCAR fans that are now lost from NASCAR and bring them into the IndyCar fold. This is their opportunity to make a name for themselves, and they need to ride that wave of momentum, get a good TV deal for next year, have a great race at Phoenix. If they can do all of those things, you know, Long Beach, Barber, heading up to the Indianapolis 500, and the IndyCar Grand Prix, uh, IndyCar could be a big winner out of this, uh, looking ahead uh, two months down the road as we get all closer to the 100-second run of the Indy 500. It's in their court now. They got to take advantage of it.
2: Okay, and we're, we're trying to connect with Steve Wilson. Unfortunately, we, we have to kind of do, do four, eight, one, five, seven, five, six, one is not available.
1: Okay, we're having some issues with with our phone. Matt, Matt, are you still there? Matt, are you with us? Well, apparently we're having some issues with our, our, our phone, and uh, we're going to try to connect. <laughs> we're, we're, this has just been a crazy day, hasn't it? We're going to try to connect uh, um, with Steve Wilson. My name is Al Michael President Presidente. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back.
0: Tonight.
4: When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard, like early 90s heavy metal hard.
0: I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud.
1: Steve, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. All right. Fantastic. I, I apologize. We're having issues with Skype. You know how that goes from time to time. So I appreciate you uh, uh, joining us in the unconventional way of getting you on board here. So I appreciate you joining us. We're going to uh, finish with a break. We'll be right back with Steve Wilson from Speedway Digest right here on the Balance Radio Network.
4: When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing, like Swedish techno confusing.
0: Bark, bark, meow, meow.
4: makes it easy with 24 7 access all you have to do is go to geico.com and you could save money on car insurance it just makes sense unlike you know dance with me purple cow i like your mood when you don't go to geico.com car insurance can be hard like early 90s heavy metal hard. i'm
0: yelling
4: makes it easy you can review and update your policy or report a claim on geico.com or the geico mobile app because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives
0: I'm not even upset about anything Bobby
3: you're here again yeah my doctor told me to reduce stress at work so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports I get to pick one of seven entrees like sandwiches and salads plus one of seven sides well I like sides it's so affordable I can finally take a vacation where are you gonna go here here.
2: Introducing the new beat-up, fast-break lunch menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eel, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive-through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure.
1: All right, and welcome back to The Balance. My name is Tom, Mark Presidente. Joining us now, and we did lose connection. Uh, Unfortunately, we were having some Skype issues. We did lose connection with uh, Matthew Embry, uh, but... The good thing is it was right at the end of the, the segment. So uh, we, we will reconnect with Matthew uh, next week and uh, talk with him some more IndyCar, March Madness, and what have you. But uh, joining us now is Steve Wilson, our official NASCAR contributor. How are you, sir? I'm doing pretty well this morning. How about yourself? Well, you know it's St. Patty's Day, and I'm ready for some green beer. It's a little early for it. We're having some Skype issues, but other than that, it can't be near as crazy as what's going on in the March Madness brackets. How about your Florida State Seminoles against the Missouri Tigers?
3: Well, I picked them, so uh, you know it's hard <laughs> to go against Florida State. You know, but you know, number one, Virginia got crushed, crushed. last
1: night. Crushed is yeah. the understatement of the word. A- Arizona got crushed. As well, so the madness is fully underway. Uh, continues today uh, a, a, as well, so we're really going to be uh, diving knee deep into to this, and we're going to try to record a podcast tomorrow too uh, for uh, nothing dedicated to nothing but March Madness. But some hustle, some madness out west. Uh, during the west coast swing uh here we go again deja vu we saw kevin harvick in victory lane out at phoenix talk with us a little bit about that win Uh, and i tell you what it was you know the thing about kevin harvick that i've noticed here and it really became prevalent there in phoenix he doesn't have to lead every lap he can just kind of lay back he's kind of like a he's kind of like a tiger laying low in the woods just waiting for the right time to pounce and that's exactly what he done. Kevin Harvick, the real deal. You think he can make it four?
3: I don't know. The last driver to do so was Jimmy Johnson. And, I, uh, you know, that's been quite some time, a few years ago, that that even occurred. Um, you know, Kevin Harvick is seeming like he's on his way to putting this as four in a row. Uh, he was fast in one of the qualifying rounds yesterday. However, you know, he's going to end up, starting of uh, to all the club four hundred and tenth place. But I don't think, you know, really that's indicative of a whole lot of things. Uh you know, you know, Kevin Harvick, you know, last week didn't even start didn't start on the ball either and he was able to uh he was able to go and um you know, take that win. I think a lot of it came down to the fact that, you know, he could put that car where other drivers couldn't, and he just wore drivers down lap after lap after lap after lap. And they were – he just – I mean, he just stalked Denny Hamlin for close to a dozen laps or so before, uh, you know, Denny just finally wore his tires out. And Kevin, you know, even though in the stall that he was in – as soon as he got around Denny Hamlin, he was able to pull one 1.2 seconds out in front of, you know, uh, second place uh, with relative ease. I mean, the conservation of his tires that he was, um, you know, that, that we saw last weekend at Phoenix and, you know, what he was able to do and just dominate in Atlanta. And I th- I think, you know, you have to watch out for him because he's one of those drivers that um, is very much in the aspect of tire conservation, but still being able to run the driver down, stalk somebody down and make them, you know, run their tires down just to, uh, you know, keep keep them from coming back to the front. So, I, you know, this, this weekend at Auto Club Speedway, we've got a surface that's been down for, you know, nearly a dozen years or so. And, you know, we're going to be in a, similar aspect of the fact that you know some of these tires will wear down relatively quickly if kevin harvick can use that to his advantage i think you know we've got a good possibility of maybe um going four in a row but you know kyle larson is somebody that has won out there at auto Club Speedway before he likes that high groove that preferred line um and you know even though that you know kyle larson you know starting a little ways back in third but uh I think, you know, between several of them in the top ten, you're going to have to watch out for them. But, you know, Kevin Harvick is, I'm sure, the one to watch no matter what.
1: You know, let's talk a little bit. You mentioned Jimmy Johnson, and we've talked about Jimmy Johnson a few times as far as him winding down his career. What we saw um, this week uh, happen with uh, Hendrick Motorsports, and that is that that Lowell's home improvement has ended their relationship with Hendrick Motorsports, certainly one of the largest, longest-running partnerships in NASCAR history, uh, ironically next to Bush Beer, who's coming back. Why are we seeing such a change? And I understand that it's big money, big sponsors, uh, but do you think that Jimmy Johnson, I mean, Lowe's was kind of attached to Jimmy Johnson, and maybe they, if we were to read into the tea leaves that, uh, that they know something that we don't know regarding Jimmy Johnson, so they're ending their uh, relationship with Hendrick Motorsports?
3: No, I don't think so. You know, Jimmy Johnson has signed through the twenty twenty season at this point. Hey, uh, you know, Bose has gone under some major uh, reconstruction of the company many times over. They've moved away from their home base. They've moved down to Morrisville operations. You know, they they are. You know, they've got some relatively decline in revenues and whatnot. They've closed some stores. You know, but. You know, nowhere near on the scale that we've seen, you know, like a Sears and, you know, Kmart or anything like that. I mean, they're a relatively healthy company at the end of the day. I I just think that, you know, Lowe's has been around this sport going back many, many years. Back to, you know, when they were based in North wilkes North Carolina, sponsoring, you know, events at that track, which, you know, NASCAR no longer goes to. So, you know, they have a relatively very long history in the sport that goes back and even precedes, you know, Jimmy Johnson himself. You know, other drivers that have driven a Lowe's, you know, colored car or truck or something of that matter. Uh, You know, Mike Skinner did it many, many years ago in the 90s. So, I mean, you know, they've been in the sport for a relatively amount, a good amount of time, historical Means um, you know right up there in the in the in the timelines of a Winston or somebody like that that's been around the sport was around the sport for about thirty three or so years, I just think that you know at the end of the day, you know home Depot they left out several years ago they they started to cut their sponsorship down a little at the time, a little at the time until they finally just faded away and just you know never, never retired uh, and they're the number one home improvement you know, company in America. And I I think, you know, for these companies here, they're seeing a dramatic shift away from, you know, the return on investment, the ROI, uh, you know, in NASCAR, even for somebody like Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson hasn't had the best of seasons here in 2018, whether that predicated on them, you know, just finally pulling the trigger and saying, we're not coming back after this year. I don't know. I'm not sure, but I think at the end of the day, you know, the bean counters in in these corporations, they value their return on investment, and especially how many people are engaging with the brand, how many people are, you know, there at the track, how many eyeballs are on TV watching, you know, their brand run around the track with, you know, Jimmy Johnson or whoever the driver is. And as those things have continuously declined over the years, you know, these bean counters, they start rethinking their, um, you know, their involvement into the sport and, you know, how much are they spending in the sport versus how much they're getting in return. And I'm sure, you know, whatever, you know, Lowe's was spending in the sport, whether it's, you know, 35, $30 million, you know, as some of these primary sponsorships go for a whole year um, I'm, Quite honest, I'm sure they were getting that back in return. I don't think there was any, you know, them not losing value in the sport, but I think they just saw a trend, the bean counters, that, you know, that put these things together, that, you know, they're they're seeing other people leave the sport. They're seeing how expensive it is to be in the sport. And at the end of the day, they had to make a conscientious decision, not only for their company, but for the shareholders and everybody else around them to continue either advertising in in an industry that, you know, is seeing a decline or to move somewhere else where they may get a better ROI for a cheaper cost.
1: Okay, so you're drinking the ROI Kool-Aid. I, th- I think a lot of people, especially on social media, and I have to admit that I'm kind of split down the middle there, I know a lot of people on social media become uh, racing experts, become advertising experts, become marketing experts. I get that, and I understand that, that they're, not, they're not closed up shop like Toys R Us and other stores are doing that. I get that. But at the same time, I find the timing very suspect in the aspect that we're, we're seeing uh, Jimmy Johnson having a rough season. We're seeing Jimmy Johnson getting to that age where retirement might be. And a renewal of a contract, maybe they they know that Jimmy Johnson is not going to be there for them through the entire new contract, so they did not renew the contract, and maybe they know something that we don't know. Let's face it: that Hendrick Motorsports, Jimmy Johnson, and Lowe's have a very tight relationship. It would not be beyond uh, comprehension to think that uh, Hendrick, that Jimmy Johnson, has given a hint to uh, Hendrick Motorsports, who gave a hint to uh, uh, Lowe's Home Improvement, that this is going to be coming down, and they found that this is the perfect time for us to to uh to part ways so there is a lot of people w- that are raising a few eyebrows about this th- this so you're saying it's strictly a business decision and it's nothing that we should be reading uh, into the tea leaves about
3: i don't really think so um you know Johnson has said, you know, on numerous occasions, and even, you know, this weekend that he, you know, he's going to be around and he's going to finish out at least his 2020 contract. What happens beyond that 2020 contract? I think it's just pretty much anybody's guess. Now, unless, you know, there's something going on that's not being said, and I'm not going to assume anything or, you know, pretend to know anything or start any rumors, but you know, if it, If there is something in the aspect of, uh, you know, a Daryl Jr. type of uh, situation that maybe he may exit out of this contract earlier than uh, expected, then, uh, you know, that'll be news to me, and I'm sure it'll be news to a lot of people out there. And, again, I don't really have any inside information on that. I don't have any rumors, you know, but I'm just using it as a speculatory um point of view that you know you know dale jr didn't finish out his contract and you know obviously we know why but and you know, jr was pretty public about this but johnson has you know been fairly public in the fact that he uh intends to finish out this contract which will run through the 2020 years so that's about you know that's about two and a half two and three quarters more seasons or so and um you know, what happens beyond that? He's he's not really speculated. I mean, he said that he would be around sport, but he's never said exactly what that means. So I think we just really, at this point, we have to make the assumption that Jean, uh, Johnson will stay around until the end of the 2020 season. And then, you know, we'll either have an announcement sometime in that year or prior to that year on what exactly are the next steps for him, whether it's it taking on a management role like Jeff Gordon has over at Hendrick Motorsports or whether it's, Uh, him continuing on for another year or two or whatever the case may be, or maybe he'll just retire out totally. I mean, there's a lot of things that are going on. Jimmy Johnson is in his 40s. He's going to be in his mid-40s by the time he hits that 2020 year. Um, You know, this hasn't been the best year for him. Last year didn't seem like, you know, he was totally up to par on what we've seen in previous seasons. And I think, you know, if the downward spiral continues, that I I do believe that some of this comes down to the fact of – you know, Lowe's knew that he's in the dawn, uh, the twilight years of his uh his career, and maybe it's time for them or giving the opportunity for them to exit out and let somebody else um, take that. You know, final few years that you know, while Johnson has been under that banner since he came into the sport about 14 years ago. Um, maybe it's just maybe they felt that you know the ROI was wasn't there. And they weren't going to, you know, it's a business decision at the end of the day. And again, I don't know what they're thinking either, but you know, I do think that there is some. I think there's some relatively, uh, re- relatively. Well, I can't even speak today. <laughs> I, I, mean, I think there is some, you know, there's something. I think there is some, some something to it that it has to come down from the business side. I mean, last year they only did sign for one year, and that was for 2018, and they didn't have really many indications that they were looking for anything longer than, you know, one year, whereas in years past it's been multi-year agreements. And I think, you know, if Johnson told them in 2017 that he wasn't going to finish out, then, you know, maybe this was their exit opportunity. But, you know, at the end of the day, maybe it's just, you know, a combination of lots of different things going on between what they feel is important, uh, you know, maybe a little bit financial issues or, you know, downward financial issues on their side. Um, closing stores and other things, and maybe it's just you know maybe everything the stars aligned and you know they just figured this was their time to exit.
1: Well, absolutely, and you know there's nothing wrong with that. It's a business decision is a business decision, and it could be a business decision is hey Jimmy Johnson is leaving and so are we. That could be the business decision. Um, but but you know here's the thing that, that the question that I that I would have for you did did they just end the contract? early themselves, or was their contract ready for renewal and they
3: decided they weren't going to renew? Which one Which one was it? No, they decided that they weren't going to renew it. In 2017, they signed on just for one year, okay, and that was just for the 2018 season. So, yeah, it, it wasn't them, you know, ending this thing early. It was them not renewing it after that one year, which would be the end of 2018, um, came back up. Isn't it normal
1: that sponsors, and especially this sponsorship, uh, sign on with the renewal? Like you said, last year they did one year. Isn't it typical a five-year to seven-year type uh, commitment uh, from sponsors like this and has been around as long as these sponsors have been?
3: I think they're just answering to the industry. And the way the industry has gone, you know, we, we've gone away from the days of, you know, having one primary sponsor on the car for 38 races, you know, a year, you know, everything from, you know, the duels to, you know, the all-star race and everything in between, you know, we, we were used to seeing one, you know, sponsor, you know, one company being on that car, you know, for the entire year, you do that car was never going to change. But the industry has changed to the point that one company can no longer afford or support that. You know, thirty-five, forty million dollars for some of these teams out there. That you know, when Dale Jr., they you know Budweiser, and you know all those companies that have sponsored him before, you know they they even you know cut started cutting some things back. And you know when Hendrick you know announced that hey, look, you know I'll field Dale Jr.'s car even if I have to go unsponsored in it because I'm not willing to you know discount my you know thirty-five thirty million dollar price, you know, to to put somebody's name on the hood for the whole year or whatever the case number of races is. I think they just answered to the industry and the industry has gone away from these primary sponsors that we saw for thirty-eight races a year. Now we're seeing, you know, I've got ten ten races with this and five races with that and seven races there and another ten races here. And you know, just look just look at um I mean just look at Kevin Harvick for example. I mean Kevin Harvick has got Jimmy Johns on there for a portion of the year. He's going to have Bush on there for a portion of the year. He's got others that are, you know, in the pipeline too. So, I mean, I think this is just the way that the industry has gone. And they, unfortunately, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll have to say what some others have said. Some of these teams are starting to price themselves out of the market just because of the fact of how much it now costs to run a race team. And these companies just, you know, in this day and age are not willing to, with the Capital Alley of thirty five, thirty million, forty million, whatever the case may be, just to, and that's just to put their name on the hood. That's not the sponsorship activation and all the other things that they do that you know can run this thing up into the fifty, sixty million dollar range. Um, you know, and, and you know, I, I don't think companies are willing to do that anymore. I think we've we've now entered an era where we're going to see even with somebody like. Uh, and we now are with uh, Jimmy Johnson that even him in the 2019 season will probably have a certain amount of races with one sponsor and another amount with another sponsor. I just don't think we're going to see that anymore with just one company coming on board that I'm going to lay out $50 million a year, whatever the number is, and I'm just throwing the number out. And that's going to be to put my name on the hood and all the marketing and all the activation, everything that comes along with it. Uh, you're just not going to see that anymore. And I don't think it's just Jimmy Johnson. It's everybody.
1: No, I think you're right, and I think what we're going to be seeing is a trend, a change in trends, if you will, and, and we saw the same thing uh, play out with Matthew uh, Diabeto. I mean, a great feel-good story, but he basically went on social media and said, hey guys, I got no money to to, to race in Phoenix, and uh, you know, we, we, we talk about uh, the race family being uh, being a family. Uh, they, they ponied up. Diddy Hamley ponied up. Uh, you know, others uh, ponied up some money and helped him to get that sponsorship. So we're going to probably see that happen more than than often and you know i don't want to get off on, into the weeds on the sponsorship deal but we we saw a, but on the flip side we saw a very key anchor sponsor leave we saw another key anchor sponsor arrive back and uh, it, it kind of us back to a throwback if you will with nascar but bush beer is now a a, a sponsor of nascar
3: and uh, we're going to see that play out this weekend Yeah, I think you do, and you know Bush beer again. You know you've referenced that, and Bush beer has gone back into the sport way all the way into the 70s. I mean, they they at one time were even the Bush Pole. You know they they sponsored that. They were the official beer. You know, they the Bush Clash. I mean, go back and look at the Bush Clash. I mean, you know, look at all the things that they've done in the sport. Um, but I think this is their relatively cheaper entry into the sport because, you know, they're not gonna be on Kevin Hardwick. They they've sponsored him for the last couple of years and um, you know, it's it's not where they're having to come into the sport and they're having to spend that capital outlay, like that 50, 60, whatever number it is, you know, to be on somebody's hood for, you know, 38 races a year. But it gives them a little bit here where they can be front and center on somebody's car. But also they can go the cheaper route, <clears throat> which, uh, you know, and I'm not saying it's cheap by any means because it's not cheap, but it is cheaper. Um and, and sponsor something like the poll Award and become the official beer of NASCAR because that really just wraps up all their marketing and activation all into one and they really have very little capital outlay aside from that. So I think, you know, we could see potentially, you know, hopefully in the future that we will see maybe somebody like Bush beer step back up and maybe bring back the Bush Clash once again. You know, can you know, Can has a lot of that stuff during the weekend. Um and, you know, the clash, you know, the clash at Daytona, which is now advanced auto parts, you know, they've been around for quite some time um, in the sport. And maybe, you know, advanced auto parts won't come back, you know, for, you know, next year or the year after. And this is Bush's entry back into doing something like that or scaling back up at, at, at a reasonable rate instead of just going head in into the sport. Well, absolutely. Well, let's
1: kind of get into some action. What's going on in the track this weekend? The trucks aren't uh, aren't on the track until next week. But certainly, uh, out at the Auto Club Speedway out in California. They finish up their West Coast coast swing. Let's talk about uh the Xfinity series. Obviously, you know, we look at rookie Christopher Bell, uh Joey Logano, uh Joey Logano, uh Austin Dillon, Daniel Hemrick, Tyler Reddick, uh Gaz Gralla, I'm sure I just butchered that name. Elliot Sadler, Justin uh, Alger, Alger, I can't talk either today. Cole Custer and Ryan Reese round out the top 10 out at the Auto Club uh, Speedway for the Xfinity Series this evening.
3: Yeah, I think it'll be an interesting race at the end of the day. We're going to see a lot. You know, we're, we're going to see a lot not only in the Xfinity race, but we'll see the same things that occur in, in the Cup race tomorrow. But, you know, these, these cars can get out and just run flat out straight down the front. Um, tomorrow we're going to see them pegging into 210s, you know, 212 area. Um, but you, we won't see that in the – Xfinity race but we'll see these cars roll up in there into the you know the 190s and stuff like that. They're going to go out there they're going to run 3 or 4. Sometimes you can see them run 5 wide out there at Auto Club Speedway. And I think this track, you know, as it, as it's as it's sat for the years and that California sun, the, the pavement has really come into a groove of its own. And, and it allows these cars not only to spread out, but slip and slide around. You know, we've got to, you know, as I alluded to earlier, you know, Carl Larson likes that high line and there's a lot of high liners that, you know, in the Xfinity series at the same time too. Christopher Bell is one of them. He comes from the dirt series. So I'd expect somebody like him. So the same as Justin Allgaier to get up in there in that high groove and, uh, you know, start working some of that. But, you know, the dangers of that at the end of the day is is that this pavement is still rather slick to the point where you can slip and slide around. And being up in that high groove, you can smack that wall pretty good, but at least it won't be as hard as if you're running down on that low line. But, uh, you know, I I think we'll see a lot of good racing today out there. And we've seen continuously improving racing out at uh, Auto Club Speedway over the years, and I think that's just attributed to the fact of, the way that this 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 surface has whether really in and it rate, produces really good rates, whether it's the Xfinity series or the Cup series
1: well, absolutely. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the track out at the Auto Club uh, Speedway track. Uh, certainly uh, a lot of NASCAR drivers are familiar with that track. I do believe that Jimmy Johnson likes to call it his home track, as well as uh, some other uh, drivers uh, enjoy that track as their home track. And certainly uh, it's uh, a, a good track to race on, and a lot of, a lot of uh, drivers like uh, racing out there at the Auto Club Speedway in Fontana. Uh, talk with us a little bit about the track, its makeup, but... But also, what we, we've got to, to deal with at that track, being the kind of track that it is, is we're going to run into some tire issues, and certainly uh, that is something that crew chiefs have to take in, in, in to, into account when they put their strategy together for Fontana.
3: See, so, yeah, as I already talked about, just a little bit, the speeds that you know we that we'll see run around there later today and even tomorrow. You know, these these are this is one of the fastest tracks that I mean you see these run these cars run flat out on. Um and again, you know, the, the surface, you're right. You're you're going to see some potential tire issues throughout the day. And those come from the aspect of the way that the track uh has just weathered in and has become rather abrasive over the years. Uh, But also it's still slick at the same time, so it gives it a fairly decent characteristic in that fact. So I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of those – there's going to be a lot of those cars out there that are going to potentially also have some braking issues too. Because when you get out there and you're running those flat-out speeds that that we'll continuously see lap after lap after lap, um, you know, brake failures haven't been something that, you know – we're, we're not used to seeing at the same time. I mean, you, you kind of think it's almost like a short track because of the way that these drivers use their brakes to some degree. And, uh, you know, I think as some uh, – you know what, I, 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 I just can't talk. I, I, <laughs> I don't know what's going on with you today. <laughs> some of these the, drivers out there uh, – yeah, so some of these is. drivers out there, I mean, Jimmy Johnson that you've talked about, Carl Larson – uh, this is also his home track. from right up the road. Kevin Harvick is another California driver. Matt Benedetto. I mean, a lot of these drivers are starting to come from California. So yeah, we're we're seeing a lot of them that they can all consider this their home track at, at uh, you know the Cup Series. Martin Truex Jr. edges out
1: Kyle Busch for the Fontana Cup pole. He, he, here's two very competitive drivers. I think we haven't seen the end of their fierce competitiveness against each other this weekend?
3: No, I don't think so. Uh, I think this is the first opportunity, in my opinion, this year for somebody like uh, Martin Truex Jr. to start collecting up some of those stage wins and stage points. I mean, he did so last year on similar style tracks that are like 1.5 mile uh, intermediate tracks out there. And I think this is could work directly into their wheelhouse exactly where they need to start picking up some of these points because right now Kevin Harvick has taken everything. I mean he's got all the points, and he's the guy sitting at the top of the the top of the mountain at this point. I mean he kind of looks like you know t- uh, Martin Truex Jr. of 2017. Every time that there was a stage win or, uh you know in uh we we saw you know Martin Truex in victory lane but this year it's been kevin harvick so the it's a little bit swapped to my opinion but to that point it is a place again that i think furniture row racing uh, will do very very well martin Truex jr will potentially be in the hunt all day long tomorrow for those stage points that collectively picking those up for the end of the uh, NASCAR regular season and this could be the turning point where we start seeing some domination back out of them once again because we sure haven't seen it again out of Joe Gibbs racing this year but Kyle Busch is also sitting up there too at the same time so uh you know there's a couple of Toyota drivers that you're going to have to watch out for I think Kyle Busch is always a threat when he's up front um but you know Martin Truex Jr. is that methodical driver that's going to drive this race um like he's looking at the end of the year and not just looking at this race in particular.
1: Let's talk a little bit about, um, Darrell Wallace Jr. He seems to be going through some challenges. Obviously, uh, he's he's on a uh, uh, Petty Motorsports is a great team for him as far as mentorship and really helping him come along. And and uh, maybe us as fans got really overexcited and, and uh, about Darrell Wallace at Daytona. Uh, he's not really uh, lit the world on fire, but certainly let let's face it, uh, every driver goes through that phase where they've just got to figure it out and uh petty motors uh petty ra- uh, uh, racing uh are, are going to have some challenges this weekend as they finish up the West Coast swing, what are some of the things, if you're Kyle Petty, if you're talking to Darrell Wallace Jr. and you're the crew chief and you're talking to Darrell Wallace Jr. Or as a team as a whole, what are some of the things that you're working on, you're adjusting, what are some of the positives? How are you turning the negatives into a positive? If you're inside that camp,
3: what's going on right now? You know, Darrell Wallace Jr., He he's he's won in the Camping World Truck series he's won in the x Series. so you know this isn't a driver that you know uh, hasn't really been very accomplished in other series i mean this is a driver that um he has the marketing and brand power behind him but he's also a racer he's also a driver that knows how to you know conserve his equipment to run with the people that he feels most comfortable with uh and then continue and uh, continue improving his skills these cop cars are totally totally different than anything else that he's uh, raced in. I mean, let, let's just not just let's just not talk about you know um, Daryl Wallace Jr. Let's let's look at also like a William Byron. He's a w- rookie in this series too. Both of these drivers have come from very accomplished racing backgrounds, uh, but you know we're seeing William Byron kind of, kind of in the same spot too, where he really. You know, we we've seen a previous champion, somebody that every other weekend, you know, he was winning either in the Truck Series or in the Xfinity Series. You know, he's coming to this, and it's a whole new ball game. Ball game. I mean, they they they've got to learn these new cars, the the way that these cars race versus something that they've been in before. And you know, as a rookie, I don't think that we can. We we saw what Elliot. Uh, I mean. Um, Chase Elliott and Ryan Blaney did in their rookie seasons. I mean, Ryan Blaney won a race in his rookie season. So, um, you know, those are, again, two very strong drivers, but I don't think no matter who you're looking at, whether it is a Daryl Wallace or you're looking at William Byron or anybody else, these drivers, they're rookies in the series, and they have to gain respect at the same time. So they're racing their equipment the way that they want to be raised. And they also are learning not only just from, you know, um, Richard Petty and the crew chief and, you know, anybody else around them or, you know, Hendrick, for example, from from Byron who has a lot of talent around him like uh, Jeff Gordon that works there or, you know, you've got Jimmy Johnson who's still in the car. These drivers are learning. They're still in a learning phase. It's early in the season. It's kind of disingenuous to put either of them out at this point, you know, anywhere like a Talladega or a Daytona, you know, Darrell Wallace Jr. who's running very, very well, but even rookies run very, very well sometimes at at those places. And it's not really indicative as to how their season will go or how they will do as a driver because, you know, you know the attrition rate at some of these tracks, you know, it could put some of these back markers or even these rookies in positions for wins where, you know, other drivers – Um, that you would traditionally think would win, um, you know, or out of the race. So, you know, going beyond that, every week is a learning experience. There is going to be tracks that both of these drivers are going to go to that they've had not a whole lot of experience on. And that, excuse me, the seat time and the experience at these tracks as they continue to build confidence, as they begin to come back to these tracks later in the year after they've had some time on them, uh, learning from those people around them, I think we'll start seeing both of them improve steadily over the year. And that's what you want as a rookie is you want to to steadily improve week over week, you know, know, month over month, you know, we come back to these tracks and things like that. And I think that's really your best-case scenario in your rookie season is to improve, get the seat time, become confident, race the other drivers the way you want them to race you, and build that up into, you know, going to victory lane eventually or, you know, getting sitting on a pole and uh, the other things that really matter in in this, uh, you know, in the Cup Series and and become a star. Well, absolutely. We're talking with – Steve Wilson of
1: Speedway Digest. Find him on Twitter at Speedway uh, Digest, your foremost NASCAR authority. And uh, trust me when I say this, you, you will have more than an abundance of NASCAR information at at Speedway uh, Digest. Let's talk a little bit about Kevin Harvick. We've talked about him. We've talked about him. He's won three races in a row. That Ford machine, has got it all figured out. They've got it all dialed in. Now, like you said, uh, the chances uh, are going down that he's going to get more consecutive wins, but at the same point, time, he is uh, racking up the, these points. Uh, Ford has got it figured out, but he Kevin Harvick is not the only one that has a Ford out there. What is it that Kevin Harvick is doing and that Stuart Haas is doing that um, other teams aren't? And let's, let's be careful in, in saying this, because I know that NASCAR has a very, 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 very strict tech inspection policy. However, that said, if a team finds a way to to get around the system, I'm not saying this. I'm saying things that might be being said on social media that Kevin Harvick has found out a way to win other than speed. Can, can we read into the tweets? Maybe it's just haters will be haters. Uh, but if if is there anything to any type of conspiracy theory so we can squash it now that Kevin Harvick and Stuart Haas are doing behind the scenes that is getting past tech and is able to win races?
3: <laughs> well, I don't think they've got much because social media has come out and, uh, you know, the detectives on social media have sure um, – <laughs> I made it very well known as to everything that's going on with any race car that's out there on the track. We're more connected than we ever were. And even Kyle Larson says this is the day and time we live in. Um, You know, Kevin Harvick was a little bit irritated at the fact that, you know, they 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 the detectives on social media went back and they looked at that rearview mirror and blew pictures up and you know started tweeting to the executives of NASCAR or posting on Reddit and these other forums that you know NASCAR has uh, traditionally been monitoring over the years. Um, now you know I think we have to have a very fine balance into that because you know I, I, somebody has brought up the PGA reference before where you know when there was errors and. Fouls and you know rule breaking during the PGA Tour live televised, um, you know these people would start sending emails and calling and tweeting and Facebooking and you know everything in between to the to the sanctioning body to let them know of rules and fouls and everything else that has uh, you know gone awry during during a competition. And that really came in to bit them in the butt. And you know, I don't think NASCAR could be into that position right now. Um, they have they have the equipment on site, uh, they have the live television feed, they have people all the way around the track, the new inspection process. I mean, there's multi layers into this that NASCAR doesn't, in my opinion, really need Uh, the uh, The social media detectives going out there and pointing out things that are wrong with a car, you know, after the competition has concluded for the weekend, I think it needs to be totally in NASCAR's wheelhouse and unbiased to the fact that if they caught it on their cameras, they caught it in their tech inspection, another official saw it during the race. Um, then, yes, I, those are all what I feel that needs needs to happen and making sure that these drivers are, you know, on a level playing field. We all know that's not true, and I'm just going to point that out. Every team pushes the gray areas of the rule book in all kinds of manners. Sometimes they're caught. Sometimes they're not. And sometimes there's a kind of a in-between on, whether we penalize somebody or we let these things go. Um, And, you know, as long as NASCAR is making the decisions, as long as NASCAR is using their resources that they have available, I think that's where it needs to stay. And we, yeah, sure, it's you know, I'm all in favor of fans and everybody else out there pointing things out. But at the end of the day, it's, um, you know, I don't think that's where we need to start looking for answers at. But back to Kevin Harvick, um, yeah, I mean, Stuart Haas Racing last year announced very, very late that they were going to make that switch or in 2016, they were going to make the switch over to Ford for the 2017 season. They were contractually obligated to Chevrolet uh, until that point. Um, they had no way of getting resources in hand um, from Ford because of those contractual obligations. So they had to um, learn the process of Ford. They had to get and build cars. They started building cars on their own where they traditionally um, housed that out to, you know, Hendrick Motorsports and their engine shops and things like that to prepare the chassis. They have a whole year under their belt of building these cars, working with the simulators and shakedown rigs over at Ford. Um, the Yates power that you know that is being produced in the engines. I think, you know, over the year they've learned a lot of things and they've learned a lot of things very, very quickly in the 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 forts that they're out there and putting on the field. So I think that's one thing you have to look at. You have to look at the fact that everybody, Tony Stewart hires the best people available in the business. And I think it's a testament to them building this team up Learning the system very, very quickly, or more rapidly than you would see somebody else, and even the powerhouse teams uh, of 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 late, um, and it just gives them now the competitive edge over your Hendricks, over your your uh, you know your Joe Gibbs Racing, and you know your other drive, your Penske's, for example. You know all these powerhouse teams. Uh, Stuart Haas Racing has definitely learned very quickly, and they put this to good use. And I think that's what you're also seeing at the same time, pure driving ability, because not only is Kevin Harvick doing better this year, Boyer is doing better. Erica Almirola now has three top tens. Um, You know, everybody in the Kurt Busch, Kurt Busch has consistently been in the top ten. All these drivers – at Stuart Haas Racing, and not just Kevin Harvick, are doing much, much better than they were last year. Um, and I think that, again, just comes back to them learning, them going through the process, them having a year under their belt of notes and data and all the things that come along with it, and they're putting it to use competitively a and information sharing between teams.
1: We've been talking with Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest. Steve, uh, we appreciate you uh, joining us. Uh, And um, for those that might be wondering as far as our live feed goes, we've had some issues. We we lost our live feed. So a lot of this has been on the podcast, but we'll have our live feed back at 1030, and we'll go into our Balance Extra. So some of this you guys caught live. Some of it you didn't. You're catching on the podcast. If you're listening to the podcast, you're not going to notice any difference whatsoever. We appreciate you hitting subscribe. But if you're listening to us live I'm not sure where we lost yet but we did lose our live feed we will have it back at ten thirty and we'll run a little bit extra because of uh, uh to make a uptime for that but certainly download the podcast if you've not done that and you'll catch all of this interview with uh Steve Wilson Steve we appreciate you joining us today as NASCAR finishes up their uh west coast swing let me ask you this is your bracket still intact I know you're in the balance um I know you're in the balance uh uh group I- 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 as uh is, is your bracket still intact? I haven't had a chance to look at them all yet. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, when I started yesterday, I had 95% of all games picked correctly. I only had one loss. After yesterday, uh, well, I don't, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, Virginia's Uh-oh. out. So, I mean, at that point, I picked Virginia. So, I had them going almost the, um, into the final four and then getting beat out then. So, yeah, uh-huh. i All right, right, buddy.
1: We'll talk to you soon. You have yourself a good race weekend, sir.
3: All right. Thanks a lot. You take
1: care. Thank you.